Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 152 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Spring is just around the corner. Honestly, it is. Time then to get final preparations sorted and my focus turns to the first inspections and the dangers of the red zone. short and sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span a beekeeper in fact just like me welcome back everyone and as another week races past we're through to mid-march can you believe and dare i predict the imminent arrival of warmer weather today i wanted to touch on a few important areas for me to think about as we head into those lovely warmer days of spring you know those days the ones that start off rather chilly where a t-shirt is not quite enough but a jumper makes you overheat quite quickly these are the days that inspections can really get going in earnest a few brief hours either side of midday where our colonies flood out of the hive foraging on cleansing flights gathering water or newly promoted bees get to take to the wing for the first time and are often seen outside the hive entrance on orientation flights. I thought that today I would cover off some of the jobs I'll be doing, preparations for the new season, in and around the apiaries, and another reminder about some of the things to look out for on those initial inspections. So, I'll be heading out to a couple of the apiaries later today. I'm still checking up on food stores, but with one eye on the calendar and the weather forecast. This is what I call the red zone, the time when colonies can dwindle and die just as we reach the very first few days of warmth and hope for the new season. That does sound a little dramatic, so I'm sorry about that, but it really is a dangerous time for some colonies, and not just the smallest. Losing a few weaker colonies is of no real concern to beekeepers with a lot of overwintered hives. Uh, We all hate losing overwintered colonies, make no mistake. But if you have, as I do, some 85 to 90 colonies of bees, losing one or two of the weakest, whilst disappointing, is of no real consequence, and they're quickly replaced in the coming weeks and months. But if you only have one or two, or maybe even a dozen colonies, the impact of losing one now can feel really devastating and negatively impact on your plans for the coming season. So don't stop checking, even though it is still chilly. Keep checking on the bees and making sure that they have food stores available and that things like the entrance area isn't blocked so that the bees can get out and fly. It's a dangerous time for those colonies because they are at a critical size. Remember here I'm talking about the smaller colonies. Trying to maintain that brood nest temperature puts a huge strain on the surviving workers and as each day passes the older workers will no doubt gradually perish and more effort is therefore required by the remaining bees until the new season's brood emerges to lend a hand. This is why the largest colonies look fantastic right about now. Bees from front to back and side to side in the brood box, filling every seam and, with so many bees, 
just their natural body warmth with respiration and moving around in the brood box is enough to keep the temperature nice and high for the ever-increasing brood area. But these bees can also be vulnerable if they don't have enough food stores or are unable to get out and forage, so the old expression about counting chickens can still hold true. Just taking a quick look at the forecast, it appears I have another week of cooler weather, but then we get into some steady double figures in Celsius, and I think I'll be able to get stuck in with some first inspections. The flip side of starvation for our bees at this time of the year is also oversupply of food, would you believe, giving rise to a lack of space in the brood box. I never said this was going to be straightforward, right? If we continue to feed and the bees have a surplus, they're likely to store it. If you're giving them fondant, they may well ignore it, but it could lead to congestion in the brood box and, as the weeks now tick by, could be a catalyst for swarming. The queen needs more and more room for laying eggs, remember. If you've filled them up with a huge surplus of fondant and they're keen to store it, you may well be reducing the space the queen has to lay her eggs in. So there has to be balance. One way you might see this lack of space expressed is the sudden rise of brace comb being built above the crown board or within the eek when you're giving them more space to place fondant. It's not always the case, but I do see it in some colonies where they just want to store as much of the food we're giving them and suddenly pockets of comb appear and in some instances the queen gets into it and starts laying eggs. It's easily rectified at first inspections and can be removed, additional boxes added where needed, and colonies allowed to continue to expand. So these are areas of focus during those first few inspections. Have the bees got enough food to see them through the next week or two? Have they started building brace comb? Do they have enough space? These are questions that you can answer very quickly and in some instances without even removing the crime board. When you get started with those initial inspections, try to think of the following question. Do the bees have enough to get them through to the next inspection? And by enough, I mean food, space and bees. If the answer is yes to all, then I guess you could relax a little. But remember, you might not look at them again for a couple of weeks particularly at this time of the year. And given the prevailing conditions, that could extend. So make sure that they have enough resources to see them through that extended period. I've already talked about first inspections in previous podcasts, but just to remind you, it's a good time for disease checks. Health is everything in our colonies. If you have any worries and can't decide what you're looking at, do call in a more experienced beekeeper or your bee inspector. At some point in the next few weeks, it will be the perfect time to check that your queen is marked. And if you choose to clip your queens, it's also a great time to carry out that procedure. With the size of the colony at perhaps its smallest size, finding the queen is going to be as easy as it gets. So now's a great time to plan for doing this. If you're a little nervous about doing it, try practicing on workers. If you can mark and clip a worker successfully, you'll have no problem with doing the same with a queen. Oh, and of course, if you get it wrong with a worker, she's going to let you know if you get what I mean. Now is also a great time 
to get those apiaries in shape, leaving it any longer and you might find yourself running out of time. But cutting back brambles and hedgerows can still be done and trimming those unwieldy bushes will allow you to get round the back of the hive without tearing your bee suit. Personally, I'm also removing mouse guards and woodpecker protection around this time. Woodpeckers, that's the green woodpecker for me, much prefer rooting around for ants in the sandy soil at our apiaries than banging holes in the side of boxes, so unless it suddenly freezes, and freezes deep, I think we're safe. I don't have many mouse guards fitted, as I tend to use entrance blocks that are too shallow to allow a mouse to squeeze into the hive, but now's as good a time as any to start removing those. It's always pleasing to see an apiary well manicured at the beginning of the season, neat and tidy, trimmed to perfection and ready to go. Of course, this all goes to pot as we get busy through the season, but I always mean well at the start and make constant promises to keep it tidy all year. Fat chance of that happening really, but we can but try. At least the grass gets cut and running the petrol mower around the apiaries isn't too big a deal, unless of course the bees take against me, which has happened at the university apiary. Those bees were not very friendly last year and they're earmarked for change. I'll keep you posted about those as we get going into this season, but it's going to be a change of queen in about six or maybe even seven colonies over there. Changing the subject a little, we're still preparing equipment for the new season. I spent a few hours this week getting molten wax onto the plastic frames. It's actually quite a pleasant job and it doesn't take very long to complete a dozen or so boxes of brood frames. I know the whole plastic frames issue is a contentious one. We do need to reduce the use of single-use plastics, but I'm hoping that these frames will go on to be a real success and last a very long time for me. Reusing them should be simply a case of scraping them down to the foundation, washing in hot soapy water and re-waxing them. I'm using quite a lot of wax when I coat them, something of an overkill I think in terms of how much they need, but as I keep saying I messed it up last year and I don't want to leave the bees short of wax on these frames for this year. Then it should just be down to timing when they go into the hives and hopefully we'll have them drawn in no time. I'm going to experiment this year with various options, one of which is a shook swarm. This will allow me to get a complete colony into a box of plastic frames, so basically they don't have any other option and the wooden frames that I remove will be used to boost other colonies so the brood won't be destroyed. Remember, the colonies will be checked for any sign of disease before this happens, so only healthy colonies will be given this treatment. I've previously mentioned having an apiary set up without queen excluders and here again we'll use the plastic frames and simply pop a box of undrawn frames onto a growing strong colony. I think the bees will do nicely as long as the hives are bursting with bees and have an urgent need for the space. If I give them too much space I think it will be a case of them just picking off the wax from the plastic frames to use elsewhere. I want them all over these frames and working quickly to build more comb. Bring on the first major nectar flow is what I say. Getting this equipment ready for the new season is so important because you don't want to get caught short when we hit the swarming period and for me here in Norfolk that hits almost as soon as we start inspecting. 
I remember having a very swarmy start to the season one year when we headed over to the BBKA Spring Convention. That's myself and my brother. This was a few years back and gosh, those were the days. New beekeepers won't understand the excitement of these shows. They used to generate so much fun and excitement. And I think it was really down to the trade show and the sales. Honestly, it was like the old January sales. Lines and lines of beekeepers queued up outside the trade show tents and sheds with flyers and lists in their hands waiting for the doors to open so they and we could race in to secure our sale purchases. There wasn't any pre-show ordering in those days so it was pretty much first come first served. The early worm gathers no moss as it were. I've seen OAPs fighting over hive parts and stealing each other's back barrows in order to get all of their gear back to their trucks. Fun times indeed. It's all far more cultured and organised now. But, you know, I think the equipment retailers are missing a trick. Beekeepers these days can sit quietly at home, lists in hand, and carefully pick their way through the items they would like to buy in the full knowledge that that the item they want really isn't going to be sold out and the chap at the front of the queue who rocked up at 7am in the morning a full two hours before the doors opened isn't going to steal it from them. But of course they're missing out on me, the king of impulse purchases. The amount of kit I've bought over the years at these shows is staggering and all bought because it seemed like a good idea at the time and let's face it everyone else was in a buying frenzy too. Those good old days. Maybe we'll get back to those one day. Anyway, back to my point, although I kind of lost the gist of where we were going with it. Ah yes, make sure you have everything you need before we get into swarming. If you lose a swarm now, it's likely to be your main honey crop gone, and all because you didn't have enough brood frames ready to fill a nuke box. This point was driven home this week, actually, during our Norwich and District Beekeepers Association online meeting. We had BBKA Master Beekeeper and ex-seasonal bee inspector Dave Bonner chatting with us about swarm management and he talked about the length of time it takes for a new queen to produce foraging bees after a swarm has left the hive and it can be as long as nine or ten weeks. Well that's most of my season gone if the swarm leaves in early May. So remember, get your kit ready and waiting because you never know when you'll need it. Right now, it looks like we're a couple of weeks or so behind last year's timeline. My photographic records show oilseed rape plants extending and developing flower buds this week last year, but so far, the majority of the plants I've seen are only just getting going. That's not to say they won't catch up. They always seem to. It's just a matter of whether we're ahead of the bees or chasing them around the apiary as they swarm. Finally, remember to bookmark my podcast or sign up to my Patreon page to get each and every podcast and video as the season unfolds. Links, as usual, are in the podcast notes or on my website www.norfolk-honey.co.uk. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. <laughs>